Hey, this is Ali Ballas, and I am a victim of the 2020 lockdown. All joking aside, I just want to hang, and I've heard a lot of people saying the same, and sometimes with people who I don't even know. And as we've come to realize, that is not okay during a pandemic. Even though we can't meet in person, doesn't mean we can't get outside of our bubble. This is about learning new things, stepping outside, and all while staying home. Just because we can't hang, there still can't hang. This week on Can't Hang, I speak to Patty Lovett Reek, the chief financial commentator for CTV News. We speak about setting financial goals for the new year, the importance of credit ratings, and She challenges me to ask more questions in financial situations. You will notice in this episode, we do not get around to the rapid fire question round at the end. Due to the nature of Patty's work, she was called in to be on air and thus we wrapped up pretty quickly. Uh, So now it is my pleasure to introduce Patty Lovett Reed. So for all of you who are young and broke like me, listen up because Patty is here to lend her knowledge. So welcome, Patty. Uh, thank you. I'm so thrilled to be here. Thanks. Awesome. Um, so it's such a pleasure to have you with me today to hang. I'm so thankful to be speaking with you because you are a true expert. For those of you who don't recognize her name, I don't know how you couldn't. She, Especially from the greater Toronto area, uh, she's always on you know, CP24 and Bloomberg and all these things that we're used to watching in Toronto. So I'm glad to have you here. We can get right into it. Okay. You're such a powerhouse, but you had to start somewhere. Um, So where was that start for you? How did your like growing up or uh, like early education kind of contribute to your passion for, you know, finance, the economy, stuff like that? Well, you know, that's an interesting question because when I was nine years old, my father died suddenly of a heart attack. And I remember seeing my mother with just, it was just my brother, um, my mom and myself and thinking her life was turned upside down. She was a stay at home Mm -hmm. mom. She went back to work. Uh, She managed the finances so effectively. She kicked into gear. And while it was traumatizing to say the least, uh, Mm -hmm. I saw her get through it with flair. And I remember that to this day. And then there was flat, you know, sort of fast forward to, um, where I am probably just starting out in my career. And I had two young children uh, who are no longer young. They're in their (laughs) thirties now, but all of a sudden I found myself um, getting a divorce and I had never really balanced the books. I had never negotiated a mortgage. I remember my daughter, Jane, having on a pair of red patent leather shoes and thinking to myself, seriously at the time, I don't know. I don't think I'm ever going to be able to afford those shoes again. And then Mm. in the same heartbeat, I thought, why not? Why, why Mm. not? And so that's when my journey really began because as I asked more and more questions to understand, um, you know, how a mortgage worked, how, how to balance the checkbook, you know, what becomes a priority in terms of payment and all these Mm. things. 
I was getting answers that I didn't understand and I have to dig deeper and deeper and deeper. And I thought I'm not the only person. And so at that Mm. point I went sort of on a quest to take down all the personal finance, economic jargon, and just drill down and say, what does it mean to me? The average person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's so important because you're right. There is so much jargon and especially coming from a place of, you know, where I'm young, like I think I learned a lot in school, but I like the stuff that I learned seems to not really equate to like the real world. Like I'm not hearing the same terms. I'm not seeing the same things. I'm kind of, it was all in theory. And then now I get into a place where it's reality and these theories, like, I don't know how to apply them at all. So I think that that's so important. But I think, I think it is important, but what I think is also important is that you ask the questions and you don't be afraid to say, what, what does that mean? Like, what does Mm -hmm. that terminology mean to me? And how does that impact my personal life? Because you're right, to the extent that we really cover it throughout our, you know, formalized educational life, it just Mm -hmm. isn't always there. And every need's going to be different for every person. For example, you could have two graduates, one whose parents have paid for their post-secondary education. They're about to embark on the next stage of their life and they're debt-free. And then you have someone else who who wasn't as fortunate for whatever reason and life circumstance. And they too are embarking on the next stage, but they have a lot of debt. And so they mm-hmm. think, okay, so what do I do now? And And so it's a matter of recognizing that every person deserves their own plan, no matter how old they are, how much money they have, so that they have a roadmap for themselves financially. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess looping back to the question part of that, I think people get intimidated, right? By these things, they don't want to ask the questions because they don't want to, you know, look like they don't know, especially uh, I'm finding when you're going into like financial institutions, if you go into the bank, like you don't want to (laughs) like look stupid because then maybe like they'll take advantage of you. Like just speaking from like a young person's perspective. I know, but I'm going to challenge you on that. Okay. I'm going to challenge you because I grew up in the banks. Um, I okay. started as a teller and I went all the way through to a senior vice president level. Oh, and wow. I loved when people came in and said, I don't understand what you're talking about. I don't understand mm-hmm. what uh, TFSA is or, you know, what goes in it or what's a tax-free savings account even mean? Why would I want one? Because, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes you assume that people are following along and when people when people push back a little bit and say, hey, point me in the right direction here. Should I have a registered retirement savings plan or a tax-free savings plan? And guess what? I'm 25 years old and I want to buy a home one day or a condo. Yeah. Uh, maybe even right now I just want to get a car. Um, it's your financial life. And so I would mm-hmm. just say, put aside how you feel, push forward, ask the <laughs> question. That's great news. That's awesome because I feel like that's such a like stressful thing. So I'm glad to hear that that's something that's more going to be more accessible in my mindset, at least. We have uh, four adult children and growing up in our household, um, we talked about money. Probably some Mm. would say I talked about it ad nauseum, (laughs) but I would talk about why you 
don't want to have debt, why you want to pay off your credit card. I would talk about why you want to pay yourself first to put some money away for the future. Mm -hmm. I would talk to the kids about breaking down their budget, going off to university. And if they want some help from the bank of mom and dad, which that was our gift to them to pay for their education, but I still wanted Mm -hmm. them to have some skin in the game. And so they did, they did contribute a certain amount. Um, And so we would talk about it all the time. And I can tell you, it's not until now, and they're in their 30s, where they say, I didn't even realize it at the time, how normal our conversations were around money, but not every household has had those conversations and the benefit of it. And so that's why it's so important, if it matters to you, that you do ask the question, because it may not have happened at home for you. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Yeah. I'm very fortunate. The way you speak about your family is similar. Like it sounds really similar to my family um, in that we are like, my parents are like, love to like speak to us about their investments and their retirement plan and um, my dad's pension and how he's using it to invest and all these things. But I, yeah, there is some dissonance there still for me. So I think it's so important like to obviously you're right, like look into things, ask the questions that you need to know, because I think think when you're kind of in those places you kind of assume that other people know and and I think that can be sometimes tough uh so yeah no I that I love that challenge I'm for sure gonna ask more questions but yeah my family was very similar uh to that and I am so thankful already um so I think it will pay off in the future as well however So your specialty, obviously, is your knowledge on telling people kind of like you explained, uh, kind of breaking down the jargon and explaining it in layman's terms, for lack of a better term, I guess. Um, So I'm going to be selfish and ask for your help with my own financial um, kind of things. And I think I'm not alone in in these kind of three topics that I want to ask you about. So first of all, as many graduates, as you just touched on, uh, they leave university or college and they know it can be obviously extremely daunting to think about paying their student loans, no matter how big or small they may be. And especially right now in kind of like a a strange economic time, what would be your advice to those who are dealing with, you know, some factors that are kind of making them have additional pressure in paying their student loans so they don't risk like penalties or high risk or high interest rates, declining credit rating, like things like this. So they don't have like as many negative consequences. Yeah, no, I think that's a really powerful question that you're asking because uh, COVID-19, the whole pandemic has Mm -hmm. uh, challenged us in so many ways. What started as um, a health challenge and still is a health challenge has moved into an economic challenge. And from an economic challenge, which we're still experiencing, we're now dealing with a personal financial challenge for many households. And I would argue for recent graduates, and many of those recent graduates have a lot of debt. Uh, Mm -hmm. Others will say that as a result of government aid uh, and the deferral of having to pay back for a certain period of time for some, depending on the money that's been borrowed, um, they're more flush than they might otherwise have been. But I would Mm -hmm. still argue the jobs aren't there yet. We just haven't Mm -hmm. seen a bounce back. And you look at any industry that's been hit hard, slammed, shall I say, whether it's Mm -hmm. entertainment or tourism, retail, restaurants, 
hospitality, travel. I mean, the list goes on. So it is going to take some time to turn that around. So if you're someone that is staring down at a large deficit in terms of, you know, how much money you owe, it's about reaching out to the organizations, highlighting what's going on in your life, helping them to uh, work through a plan with you whether depending on who it is that you owe the money to. In some cases, the interest clock can stop. In other cases, uh, it's about consolidating onto one loan. Uh, For Mm -hmm. others, it's about chipping it away in small amounts. But I wouldn't be saving right now if I had debt. I would be wanting to clean up my balance sheet as best I could, as quickly as I could. Because here's the thing. When you have time and compounding, when you're investing, um, mm-hmm. it works for you. That's how your income earns on income, earns on income. But when you owe money, it's devastating to your financial situation because time and compounding works against you. Because on the amount that you own, you're going to be charged interest. And to the extent that you don't pay it back, interest compounds on interest, compounds on interest, and it just takes that much longer. Um, I have seen families sit down together and negotiate the amount of debt they have. And parents who can afford to are looking maybe sometimes at interest-free loans to Mm -hmm. pay off the debt. So um, you're not destroying your credit rating. But one of the things I would definitely say is, you don't destroy a credit rating by making your minimum payments that you're required to make on time. You start to destroy it by missing a payment. So as long as you're still able to make the minimum payments where you're required to pay, you'll get through this crisis. And we are going to get through Mm -hmm. this crisis. It's just going to be a bumpy and uneven recovery. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I know, obviously, for if you're going through like the National Student Loan Center, which uh, yep. I guess in Ontario is OSAP, um, a lot of people got it declined and they have a really great program that you can kind of push it off or like it's a, sure. I, I think it's like, yeah, like a renegotiation or something. It, I forget what the term is, but anyway, yeah. So obviously that's something to look forward to or like to look into if that's something. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I know that their um, deferral program kind of just (laughs) kicked back in, which uh, personal note kind of sucked for me because as a graduate in April, I was going to get the six months anyway, and then everyone got the six months. So it wasn't like anything additional, Um, but that doesn't really matter. Um, It was still still a nice little like uh, time to make some money. Uh, Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. I guess my next question for you is one of the most like even more so than student debt. One of the most terrifying things to me is that I get caught thinking about like, how will I ever be able to afford a home? Uh, This isn't the case, obviously everywhere, but in many like bigger Canadian cities, their surrounding areas, affordability, it's becoming a huge issue, uh, especially for young people trying to buy their first home or condo or whatever it may be. So what would you recommend to those like in their early twenties, like myself who are looking to buy a home, maybe not in like the next two, three years, but definitely like down the line? Well, I have a couple of things. I think given the fact that um, we know that the Bank of Canada has telegraphed interest rates will be lower for longer, that's Mm -hmm. going to help uh, buyers get into the market and feel comfortable about it. 
uh, real estate prices other than condos likely going to go up between four and seven percent. Um, but condos will pick up in the second half of the year. They'll start to pick up when you see immigration happening, when you see people going back to work, uh, when we have the vaccine, that sort of thing. Students return to campus and so uh, they need a place to live again. Uh, I don't think they're going to be more regulations around mortgages to make it harder for the first-time home buyer to get into the market. But I, I do recognize that times have changed. Price, if you look at the one area that has continued to do so well during uh, a pandemic, it would be real estate. Um, mm-hmm. And so if you still have that dream, and many do, it might take you a little longer for sure to save up the down payment and all of the costs associated with it. Uh, my word of caution is, don't become house poor. I've been there. That means buying, putting every dime you have in without any sort of wiggle room. Because um, that, you know, that can be a challenge. I also can tell you, because I, I love real estate, that if you're going to put an offer in, you always put it in earlier in the week. Um, oh. They're more often, a, yeah, they're, they're more willing in many cases to take an offer and there often aren't as many. But I do like real estate because you have the capital gains exemption on your principal residence. So if um, your home continues to appreciate, you're not going to have to pay tax on it. And so that to me is a big win. But I do recognize my daughter um, who grew up in Toronto, loves Toronto, moved to Peterborough. Uh, because that's where they could afford a home. And they, they thought, okay, you know, it's far, but it's not as far as it could have been. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and that's where they're, they're raising their son, Sam. And, and, and so I know decisions are being altered uh, because of home prices, especially for the first-time buyer. Yeah, absolutely. And I've kind of seen it from the opposite end, which is good for my parents, of course. Um, But like, so we are in Durham, so we live in Brooklyn and uh, it is just like insane because we have the 407 coming through um, and the amount of appreciation on our home is like almost tripled in, in 10 years, which is like, honestly, isn't like pretty crazy. Uh, so obviously it's great for them because, uh, yeah. they're getting such, they could, if they sold right now, get almost three times what they paid, but, uh, yeah, it, it sucks for the young people. It's um, just probably to, not your first home though. Like it wouldn't be the type of no, first time home sure. that you would be able to get into. Uh, but yeah, yeah I get it. It's, it's a tough thing. <laughs> yeah. And obviously um, we're seeing in Toronto, like you said, like people just having to go further and further. It's kind of the radius is, um, is moving out all the way. And I will argue that even though we talk about, you know, real estate being the dream for many, uh, mm-hmm. I, it isn't often or always a reality for everyone. Um, you know, if you look at New York City, for example, Rarely do people live in New York City unless you are extremely wealthy. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't happen. And so with people working more remotely, they're redefining their living space. Living outside of the core of a major city such as Toronto isn't isn't the horrible thing that sometimes the first time home buyer 
thought it might be because you mm-hmm. may not be confronted with the higher prices or, or, you know, once you, you know, absolutely said, I'm never going to commute, maybe you don't have to commute. And so right. there, today's reality is very different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's so interesting with remote work now, uh, the possibilities that really do exist, you know, for, for people that may not even enjoy urban living at all. So it might be just more accessible to other, other realities, uh, just life-wise. Right. So something I think a lot of people in my generation don't really understand. I, it's like I said, we spoke about finances and stuff like that in my home. So I, I have a decent understanding of it, but I've heard a lot of people um, like just don't really understand is credit ratings. Uh, so we hear it on commercials or whatever. Um, and what is your kind of like basic for a young person definition of what your credit rating is? You know, I think a credit rating is so important for you to establish mm-hmm. as soon as you can. Because it not only shows your ability to borrow money and to pay it back, but your willingness to do so and do so Mm -hmm. in a timely fashion. Uh, I would encourage people to have a credit card and pay that credit card off on a monthly basis. And if you can't in a particular month, you pay back the minimum amount uh, on a contract as the contract dictates and mm-hmm. you start to build up a credit rating. Uh, here's why. I used to run a call center and we would advise people on money and mutual funds, their holdings. And I had such qualified people that would come in and look for a job. And then I would ask them about their credit rating and their credit rating was horrible. And I said, but how can I have you helping someone else manage their money over the phone when you're not managing your own money? And so um, sometimes people will want to rent an apartment. They'll check on your credit rating and your credit rating isn't great because you've missed a payment, maybe because you were just lazy. You just forgot Mm -hmm. about it that sort of thing. That's not what a landlord wants to hear. Or you want to buy a car or whatever it is. And so a credit, your credit rating is who you are financially. You don't want to apply for a lot of credit because they will look at how much credit you have access to, even if you don't use it. Um, so shopping around for credit's not great. I, I do say check your credit report because sometimes things go in that aren't you. They could be mistakes. Um, you okay. want to know where you stand. You want to know what sort of snapshot or picture someone has of you in terms of your financial life. And that's what they get from your credit rating. Mm-hmm. So when you say that, um, like, let's say I'm going to rent an apartment, they want my credit rating, would it be something that uh, like a landlord or someone would have access to? Or like, do you give it to them? Like, maybe this is a dumb question. They, well, you know, in some cases, um, you may have to borrow money, uh, go into your financial institution, they would have they would have access to that. Okay. Yeah, I always just check it online, but I didn't know, like, I don't know, like, could someone else you have access to it? You can check it online, but not the average. Yeah. I can't go in and okay. say, okay, what kind of credit rating does she have? No, it doesn't look <laughs> okay. like that. You have to give someone access to it. Okay, gotcha. What are, like, something, like, actionable items that we could do to, like, improve our credit rating? Like, I know you say, like, don't damage it and, like... um like make sure to pay every month. Like if you have a credit card, stuff like that, but um, like what are things that would like improve it? Uh, 
like having credit, I guess, and obviously paying it on time? Yeah, I, I wouldn't have too many. So if you okay. have like literally I have one credit card and I have a line of credit. That's, mm-hmm. that's all I need. That's all I need to I want to manage. And mm-hmm. um, to the extent one is used for emergencies, others I use to collect points and I pay it off each month. But right. depending on who you are, you may have a couple of credit cards and that's totally fine. But it's when you get to, for example, a checkout and someone says, would you like our credit card? And we'll offer you $15 off your purchase. And you go, <laughs> why not? Um, yeah. People will look at how much, how many cards or access to money you have. And that will bring down your credit rating if you have too many. Or okay. if you're constantly shopping or checking. Because what happens is people can get into a vicious credit card trap where you're using one credit card to pay off another, to pay off another. And you, mm-hmm. it just, you just begin to spiral out of control. So I would limit the amount of credit I have. I would make sure I make the minimum payment uh, to the extent that I can pay it off each month. I absolutely would. And I would stay on top of it to make sure that there aren't any errors on it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you. In turn, obviously we're entering a new year, uh, which is exciting, but a lot of people uh, make financial New Year's resolutions. Like I'm going to save X amount of money, like every week, every month, whatever. If they are a good idea, like, are they a good idea? Do you think like New Year's resolutions in terms of finances, in your opinion? I think uh, I I do make New Year's resolutions and I do make New Year's financial resolutions every year. (laughs) (laughs) And the reason I do it is that, um, you know, I'll use 2020. It has been a challenging year for many. Mm -hmm. So I like to think of 2021 starting fresh and kicking things off. And so rather than saying, you know, this is what this is this big goal that I have. I believe for myself anyway, I like to break it down into bite-sized goals. And so I will say to Mm -hmm. myself in January, um, you know what? Let's set a financial goal. Where do I want to see us financially by the end of the year? Let's just set a goal. By February, the bills start to come in because we've had the holiday season. You may find you've spent more than you thought. Okay, what bill am I paying off first? How aggressively can I do it? Not the one with the biggest balance. It's the one that's costing me the most in terms of interest Mm -hmm. if I don't pay it off. Then maybe in uh, March, I'm going to make sure that I'm not paying too much for the car that I now have sitting in my driveway and I'm not driving anywhere because I'm working from home. And Mm -hmm. so you go month by month by month and you set a financial goal for yourself. And it is absolutely shocking how you will find yourself at the end of a 12-month period in a very strong, way better position than you started the year. And I can say I've done this for 26 years. <laughs> oh, okay. I feel like I need to, like, now that I'm kind of, you know, graduated from school and all that, I feel like this is the year that I'm gonna <laughs> gonna try that. It was always like, you know, um, different types of resolutions, but I feel like this is um, a good way. And, and I think breaking it down, uh, in my mindset always works so much better. So I'm glad you, glad you said that because I, I tend to make bigger uh, obligations and maybe not follow through with them because they're too big. So I think that that's a, a great idea. As I touched on earlier, obviously like financial literacy is becoming, you know, it's, I feel like not taught as much as, as maybe it should be. Uh, and I don't want to pawn off responsibility onto like our education system, but we, 
young people, I feel like are just not, uh, not adept to understanding financial literacy. And I think we're starting to kind of see long-term effects of this negligence in terms of like, uh, like debt and stuff like that. So how do you think we could like better educate ourselves? Like, let's say our education system isn't going to make any like drastic changes in the next 10 years or so. Uh, how could we better educate ourselves to kind of manage our money, our financial decisions? Like, are there any like books or programs or anything that you think uh, would help us kind of understand you, our financial you know, position? It really depends on who you are and what you mm-hmm. hope to accomplish. I, for example, wanted to understand the market and investing and I wanted my money to start working for me. And so I took the Canadian securities course. Uh, mm-hmm. You can go and, and I didn't, I didn't actually begin trading in it, but I, I did enough that I took it, I passed it. And away I went with it. I also am a certified financial planner. And, you know, I've never acted as a formal financial planner, but I took all the courses because I wanted to understand my money, my plans, how to figure it out. But there are also every financial institution has a website. They have the basics right up to investing, uh, how to be tax smart. It really depends on what you want to do, but you really have to say to yourself, hey, this matters to me, so I'm going to look into it further. And then you delve into the area that matters the most to you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's so important is like taking, uh, like understanding, like no one's going to have the exact same situation as you No one's going to have, you know, the exact amount of debt or, or the exact, um, like revenue streams or anything like that. So yeah, really like individualizing the experience and like knowing what you need to get out of your money and, and where it's going. Yeah. Thank you so much for helping us out. Um, today, Patty, it's such a pleasure to speak with you. Well, thank you for having me. And, you know, I'm so impressed that, you know, the sooner you start talking about money, feeling comfortable about money and deciding what you want to do with your money. And that might Mm. mean, you know, pay pay some debt off, save some, give some to charity. It's like a three-legged stool. You want some balance. You want to have fun with your money. But as long as you live below your means, you'll create wealth and it'll make a difference in your life. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, And yeah, take care. Okay, thanks for having me. I'm Alia Ballas, and you have been listening to Can't Hang. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you loved today's show, please subscribe and don't forget to leave a rating and a review. Visit canhang.simplecast.com to check out all the incredible people I've interviewed and who's coming soon. Much love goes out to all those who have been posting about Can't Hang on social. Please tag me in your posts at Can't Hang Pod, and please continue to send me suggestions of who you'd love to see in future episodes. I have an incredible lineup, but I'm always looking for people outside my bubble. Please tune in next Thursday and hang with me and my next guest. This show is produced by me, Alia Ballas, and the music was created by Quan. Quan.